Hi guys, welcome to episode 17, oh my god I can't believe I just said that, of the Irish Balance podcast. I am delighted to be back with you guys for another episode and a whole new week so I hope you're having a good one. Thank you so much to everyone who has tuned into the podcast so far, whether you're listening on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, other platforms it might be on that I haven't been told about yet. And I really am so glad you guys are enjoying it. I love hearing from you guys um, the episode you've enjoyed. Everyone loved the interview with Seppi Mary, so that is fantastic. And we are getting an episode two hopefully recorded this week with her. And I have a little plan of interviews for the next while. So um, bear with me for this episode on a much requested topic and we'll get into the interviews over the next few weeks. If you haven't heard of my podcast before, you haven't heard of me before, I'll just tell you a little bit about me. So I'm Kira. I'm an Irish girl and a qualified medical doctor. And I'm currently doing a full-time one-year master's in public health and nutrition at UCD. And I am about well, over two-thirds of the way through it now. And as you guys will have heard on the episode last week, I have just recently gotten a position on the public health um, specialist training scheme for doctors in Ireland, which I'm so excited about. And I got my job location as well this week, last week too, which... Is crazy, so I have to make the most of Dublin now before I move to the west of Ireland. Um, I'm going to be moving to Galway, which is really exciting. Um, I haven't actually said that yet on my social media, so you guys are the first to know. And I can't wait. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I'll chat more about that as I figure out moving. I'm going to write my thesis first, I think. So anyway, I got distracted there, but as I said, I'm doing my master's and I'm doing public health and that's going to be my specialty as a doctor. And I'm very passionate about preventative medicine, um, health promotion, and that's all under the umbrella of public health, particularly how our lifestyles affect our health through the food we eat, um, our physical activity, stress management, how we sleep and our social well-being. And I use my blog, my social media and this podcast to show you guys how we can empower ourselves to live happy, healthy lifestyles full of balance. Now, this week's episode is going to be a little bit of a mix. I have been asked quite a lot to chat about alcohol on my podcast. And I've actually written about it on the blog before. If you haven't seen that, that post is called Let's Talk About the Binge on Booze. And it calls for a little bit of moderation and responsibility. Um, I also have spoken about alcohol in Ireland on the weekly radio slot that I do on iRadio, which is a really lovely radio station um, in most counties in Ireland outside of Dublin. I'm on there every Thursday night at nine o'clock talking about different health topics each week. And we recently covered alcohol and we also covered smoking. And I know a lot of you um, either aren't able to tune into the iRadio or haven't come across it yet. So I've done quite a lot of good content with them and it plus the blog post around alcohol has made for a lot of useful information that I think will make for a useful podcast episode. So that's why I'm going to bring those two topics to you in this week's as a little bit of a mishmash. So I'm going to kind of work through the alcohol topic first and I'm going to talk about it under sort of um, a question and answer type of thing. Just kind of looking at some common questions that get asked about alcohol in Ireland and about smoking and then look at the answers to those from my perspective. So the first question that I'll ask, and it might seem a bit strange to start with this, but in terms of my own alcohol intake, I wouldn't call myself a teetotaler. I definitely did my fair share of um, binge drinking when I was in college. That sounds probably a little bit more extreme than it was. Actually, I've never really been a major drinker. Um, I think it almost seems like an accepted rite of passage in college in Ireland that people 
go out for the night and end up in coppers. Um, if you're listening and you're not from Ireland, you won't know what coppers is, but it's basically a crazy little nightclub that is in the centre of Dublin and it has a bit of a reputation for being a place where you have a bit of a mad night out. During maybe my first and second year of college, I would have had probably more nights out um, than I've had in the last four years combined. And I think over time, my relationship with alcohol is one that has gone from being sort of an infrequent enough occurrence, but one where I might have had a few with friends going out to one where I kind of really barely drink at all at the, now, probably over the last two years, definitely. I'd say even less than monthly. Um, and I'm not telling you that to reflect on your own decisions. That's just personally me. But unfortunately, alcohol is a bit of a tricky topic in Ireland because it's seen as really being quite um, a central part of our culture. The pint of Guinness, as many of you will have heard of, is as much part of the Irish culture as leprechauns, which obviously none of us have ever seen, uh, but they're there. An Irish stew, the Irish mammy, our Irish language, our sports, our accent, our awful weather and our self-deprecating humour. I really do love Ireland and I love my country, the culture that's associated with it, uh, but I don't always love the quotation marks tradition of drinking that sometimes comes with that too. I want to say from the outset that hands in the air, I have no problem whatsoever with drinking as a social activity, whether that's after work to celebrate a Friday feeling, to celebrate a birthday, a wedding, whatever that is. A few nights out in your college years, you know, that's whatever. Going for a drink, whether it's a pint, a cocktail or a glass of wine, can be a really lovely way to bring friends and family together. And as is the nature of alcohol's effect on us, it does loosen everyone up a little bit and can liven the spirits of a group. However, what I've seen a lot of is sort of the side of that culture of drinking in Ireland that finds people who don't drink or who don't drink very much or have just one or two who finds them to be maybe a little bit unusual when actually it's not unusual at all. It's just a personal choice the same way you might choose to eat cheese or not eat cheese. I think sometimes it can feel to people, and I know this from my own experience and from people who said the same to me, that it seems a bit unacceptable to people if they say that they're only going to have one or two or if they're just not going to drink at all but still go out. And they often feel like they have to give an explanation as to why they're not, as outside of the fact that it's just a personal choice. And I suppose it's worth saying, as I've said, I've no problem at all with alcohol being used as part of socialisation. But it does also have an ugly side. And I don't think that the population at large, both young and old, are sufficiently aware of it. The negative face of alcohol excess can be pretty harrowing. And I say that as a doctor who's seen the dangers of both binge drinking and alcohol addiction and the devastation that both can cause. And it's pretty well known fact that many people underestimate what a standard drink is. And in fact, a study a few years ago in Ireland found that less than one in 10 people correctly identified the number of standard drinks in different alcoholic measures when asked. And continuing that train of thought, I think a lot of people don't know the low risk guidelines for alcohol intake here in Ireland. And I am going to take you through those, of course. So let's start off with a couple of questions. So are we a nation of binge drinkers or is it just a stereotype? Well, it's probably a little bit of both. So alcohol really does have major public health implications in Ireland because we have quite high levels of consumption and a high prevalence of binge drinking. And both of those are above the European and global average. 
Per capita alcohol consumption in Ireland was 11.46 litres of pure alcohol per person over the age of 15 in 2016. And the goal of the new public health alcohol bill that was enacted in Ireland last year is to reduce this from 11 to 9.1 litres for every person age 15 plus by 2020. That's next year. Now, 20% of the Irish population don't drink. So that figure is actually probably a little bit higher for those who do. And the most recent kind of nationally representative data that we have from 2017 showed that three quarters of adults in Ireland have drunk alcohol in the past year. And over half, that was 54% of drinkers, drink at least once a week. In terms of binge drinking, we do have quite a high rate. So in that same study, 39% of drinkers indicated that they drink six or more standard drinks on a typical occasion when consuming alcohol. And six or more standard drinks, guys, is what counts as binge drinking. And in that survey as well, almost 20% indicated that during the past 12 months, they've had feelings of guilt or remorse after drinking, which is pretty significant. So we've just defined binge drinking in a literal sense. What are some examples of that? Well, a standard drink example, as we've said, a binge drink is six or more standard drinks. So a standard drink example would be about 100 mils glass of wine, half a pint of beer, lager or stout, one pub measure of spirits. And they're kind of just the simple examples, simplest examples in terms of what people tend to consume the most. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of or underestimate what those standard drinks are, as I've said, and whether that's people drinking at home or at the pub. This is particularly important when you think about the culture among a lot of young people of pre-drinks, where they drink before they go out and then drink again when they're out later. And it's quite easy to see how people can underestimate and essentially then overconsume and exceed guidelines leading to binge drinking. So then that brings us to what's the guidelines on alcohol intake. So per week in Ireland, we have what's called low risk guidelines. And these are essentially maximum weekly limits that we should not exceed. And they have been adapted for men and women. So in Ireland for men, it's 17 standard drinks in a week. And for women, 11 standard drinks. But it's not as simple as that. These drinks should be spread out over the course of the week with at least two alcohol free days in the week. And of course, there's also times when it's not safe to drink. So for example, when pregnant, when on certain medications that can interact with alcohol, so it's really important to talk to your doctor about that, or when planning to drive or operate machinery, or if you're going swimming, all those various different times are really important to not consume alcohol. Now, a really handy resource that I want to mention here, if you're wondering, how much do I actually drink? How many standard drinks in a week do I have? And you might be a very infrequent consumer. You might have one or two a week, or you might think it's one or two. So it's really good to be aware. The same way we should look at what we eat, how much exercise we get, we should quantify how much alcohol we consume just so we know if we're within and below those guidelines, because it does have important implications for our health. So the Irish website Ask About Alcohol has a really handy drinks calculator, and it takes into account your gender, the amount of standard drinks you have in a week, and it does an accurate calculation on those and tells you what the standard drinks are for the various options you might need to enter. It tells you how much you spend on alcohol too, and that could be a rude awakening. And it gives you a breakdown of the standard drinks you have in a week, how much you therefore spend on alcohol per week, the calorie content of that alcohol volume, and what the food equivalent of that is, and a yearly total if you spent that amount each week on alcohol. And Finally, it also really importantly tells you where your drinking stands in the context of the low risk guidelines and what that means for your health. It's a really fantastic website and I know a lot of friends who've used it and have really gotten a bit of a land from it and that they're not just friends, patients as well. Like, And it is really, really useful to see where you're at. And like I say, it's the exact same as evaluating how much activity you are or aren't getting. It's a health behavior that we have to optimize.
And so that brings me to what effect does alcohol have on the body? Well, many. The best known effects are probably those that are on the brain and the liver. So the effect alcohol has on our brains that we're all familiar with is that it makes us, quotation marks, drunk. But it can also cause longer lasting or even permanent damage to our brains. For example, things like mood changes, difficulties with learning and concentration. It can increase the risk of mental health issues such as anxiety and depressive symptoms, poor memory. It also can, in the long term, increase our risk of dementia, as well as, really importantly, alcohol-related accidents and brain injury as well as a result of these accidents if we have a head injury. Alcohol, which many people don't know, is actually a carcinogen and it can contribute an increased risk for certain cancers, including oral cancer, and that effect is synergistic if smoking happens at the same time as alcohol if someone is a smoker and consumes a lot of alcohol it's an increased risk for liver cancer um, esophageal so food pipe cancer and breast cancer too from a liver perspective that's really really important to be aware of so it can cause a lot of damage to our livers and i have seen that quite a bit during my training i did um, a, a liver specialty rotation during my um, SHO years and we can see damage to the liver all the way from sort of a fatty infiltration of the liver to inflammation of the liver to scarring. And many people might have heard of that. And that scarring is known as cirrhosis. And really importantly, that's often asymptomatic until irreversible damage is done. As I've said, it's also an increased risk for liver cancer too. Alcohol can also cause inflammation to our pancreas. And our pancreas is the gland we have in our bodies. Um, it's located near enough to our tummy and it's a gland that plays a role in helping with our digestion and regulating our blood sugar levels. So it's really important that that thing is working well. And if we have too much alcohol, it can make the pancreas quite inflamed and not do its job properly and can also lead to scarring in the long term as well. Alcohol can also damage our heart and contribute towards higher blood pressure, weaken the heart muscle too and cause abnormal heart rhythms. So as you can see, there is a lot of different effects outside of just the feeling of getting drunk and having a hangover the next day. So then this brings the obvious question. If you've looked at askwhatalcohol.ie and you've done your calculation, you're like, hmm, okay, I'm a little bit over the low risk guidelines. I want to cut it down. What can I do? And it's not a case of avoiding social situations. We can't be hermits, but it is tricky because we do live in a cultural environment in Ireland where it's seen as more normal to go for a few than not to. And I think that is fair to say. So as a person who doesn't really drink, I'm going to give you some tips. Number one, know what the low risk guidelines are. Check out askaboutalcohol.ie and see where your current level of intake is. See if you're above or below those guidelines. And that's a really great place to start because you could have a very good relationship with alcohol and you might be within the low risk guidelines or you might be within the low risk guidelines, but doing too much of your consuming on one day or over two days or doing it all the weekend. So it's important to be aware of those and see where you're at and what changes you can make to meet them and not exceed them. And when you consider the fact that achieving the goal of the public health alcohol bill that I described earlier about reducing our consumption and reducing the harms associated with alcohol consumption would mean that we actually would drink 40% less than we currently do. I think it's very fair to say that knowing where your drinking is at and maybe reducing it if it's too high is a good first step. Then second, have a look at when and where you're drinking regularly. And if it's something you want to cut down, consider what you might do instead of using alcohol as part of that social tool and social interaction. 
if it's just to catch up with friends, there's actually, as far as I know, a pretty recently opened alcohol-free bar in Dublin city centre. And if you still want to go to the pub, there is a lot of new and existing um, alcohol-free drinks. So, for example, there's a pretty big alcohol-free um, beer industry. As far as I know, I'm not a beer drinker, but I've been told that they taste pretty similar. There's also a lot of new alcohol-free spirit-type drinks. Um, a personal favourite of mine is Silk Tree. It goes really well with a tonic. And there is some alcohol-free wines coming out too. So it's something that you could even look at swapping out one or two of your drinks for those instead, or just having a night on those. And the taste is still going to be there. The experience with your friends is still going to be there. The catch-up is still going to be there. And you'll save yourself the hangover the next day as well. Another tip is working out the cost using that Ask About Alcohol um, calculator to see how much you're spending, because sometimes it can be a really good motivator to maybe use some of that expenditure and swap it and save it for something you want to buy or go on a trip somewhere. And that can be a really great way to keep you on track. My final tip, if you want to avoid doing it to excess on a night out, is plan something epic for the next day. You really won't want to hang over if you're planning to meet a friend, to catch up, to go for a walk, to maybe go for a run or do a class together or go for a hike or something. It is a really, really nice way to sort of have a little insurance policy that you're not going to cancel on your friend and you're going to keep yourself a little bit more responsible on your night out. And I think really the final thing I'd say about alcohol is that, you know, alcohol intake is one of the key lifestyle behaviours that we don't talk about enough. And because it's so almost ingrained in the Irish culture, it can be something that people don't like to address or feel like it might be seen as a bit boring if they try and address, you know, moderating consumption. But it's really, really important because there is effects on our health. There is effects on societal health, there's effects on healthcare, the utilisation of healthcare services, and there's a cost to society too if we overdo it. So we really, really have to have a more moderated, responsible relationship with alcohol. And that's really important to cultivate early on in your life and continue to have a healthy relationship with as you get older too. If you'd like a little bit more info or maybe some infographics, um, I'd say definitely check out the Ask But I'll Call website or check out my blog post. It's under the wellness um, little tab on my blog as well. So um, the next thing I'm going to chat to you guys about um, in a little bit less detail is smoking because it is also a really, really important lifestyle behavior. And while it's not exactly part of normal culture, it's also a behavior that's not talked about as much as things like diet and physical activity, particularly on social media. It's probably a less sexy topic, but it's really, really important. It's definitely a major public health issue and it's definitely a major public health goal to reduce the prevalence of smoking in Ireland in a big way. Now, first question, similarly to how I started with alcohol, are we a nation of smokers? Thankfully, no. The 2017 Healthy Ireland survey found that 22% of Irish adults smoke, and that was an average from 20%, 25% of men and 20% of women. But that figure is on a downward trend. I think it's closer to under 20% now based on 2018 data, which is really great. And it has been on a downward trend steadily over the last number of years, largely due to a huge, huge amount of effort from the government and public health officials. And really the peak of that and the peak effort of that was probably our um, workplace smoking ban, which um, really was an absolutely amazing um, public health intervention that has done so much for the health of um, past smokers, of those who inhale secondhand smoke. Anyway, I digress. So 
we definitely aren't a nation of smokers and it's a decreasing trend, but there's still a lot of work to be done because our goal from public health perspective is to be a tobacco free Ireland, which I am 100% in favour of. So our goal is to bring that number right down to less than 5% prevalence of smoking by 2025. So that's six years away based on it being 2019. That's ambitious, but it's very necessary and definitely achievable. And as I say, really, really important. You might not know this, but tobacco is actually the leading cause of preventable death in Ireland. We hear so much about various aspects of our diet that are bad for our health, about physical inactivity, and those are all really, really important lifestyle behaviours. Don't get me wrong. But we know that tobacco is the leading cause of preventable death in Ireland. And we need to be aware of that and we need to be actively addressing it. One in two smokers die of a tobacco-related disease. So then that brings me to, of course, what effects does smoking do to the health of a smoker? Well, similar to alcohol, it's pretty wide ranging and some effects are better known than others. But really, and probably what you guys will all be aware of, is the biggest effect is on cancer risk. And that's particularly lung cancer. So smoking is estimated to be responsible for about 90% of lung cancers and the duration of smoking a number of cigarettes smoked over the life course are cumulative and multiplicative in terms of the risk. Other cancers that um, smoking causes an increased risk for, as I mentioned with alcohol, oral and throat cancer, and that's a synergistic effect with alcohol. So they work together and increase the risk together. Um, Esophageal cancer, pancreatic, bladder cancer, kidney cancer and cervical cancer too. Smoking is also a leading risk factor for cardiovascular disease, so it puts people who smoke at a much greater risk for heart attacks, strokes, and poor peripheral circulation, um, which is kind of often known as peripheral vascular disease. Smoking also causes 80% of a lung condition called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is also known as COPD, you might have heard of it, and that's an inflammatory disease of the airway of the lungs. Little or probably lesser known effects include accelerated aging, a lot of skin damage, staining of the teeth and gums and dulling of taste. And also really importantly, an increased risk of thinning of the bones, um, which is known as osteoporosis. And that's very important too, because we know that's something that increases our risk of fractures in older age. So overall, smokers have a shorter lifespan, estimated to be about 10 to 15 years less on average. And very importantly, it's something we can't forget that those who are exposed to secondhand smoke suffer adverse effects on their health too. Those include greater risks of lung cancer as well, heart disease, lung disease, and for infants, an increased risk of sudden infant death syndrome and a greater risk of um, respiratory and ear infections. Recently, when I was chatting to iRadio about the topic of smoking, I was asked about social smokers, um, as well as those people who are around smokers and who inhale secondhand smoke. So we've already discussed the secondhand smoke aspect and that's really, really important to not forget. In the context of social smokers, um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to say about that. The first is that, because I think social smokers often think that they're not as much at risk as someone who's a long-term smoker or a regular smoker or it doesn't count. And I suppose that's just not true um, in terms of it doesn't count. Of course it does. The first thing to say is that there's literally no safe limit for cigarette smoking. And while Yes, they might cumulatively smoke less cigarettes over their life course than a regular smoker. It absolutely still has harmful effects on their health and those around them. And also by being a social smoker and being exposed more to secondhand smoke, by being with other social smokers, they're also increasing their health risk from that perspective too. Nicotine in cigarettes is the highly addictive substance that keeps people coming back for it. And so social smoking may make people more likely to become more regular smokers over time. And make it harder to give up too. And importantly, social smoking 
maybe at the workplace, but it's often when out for the night. And as I've said a couple of times now, smoking and drinking alcohol increases the risk of the cancers that they are at risk for. For example, the mouth, the throat, the food pipe, more so than if you were doing either of those things in isolation. So next question, moving to solution mode. What should a person do if they're thinking about quitting smoking? Well, first thing to say is don't go it alone. It can be really, really hard. As I've said, nicotine is highly addictive, but it is worth it. And there's lots of support available. And all of those supports increase the likelihood of success, both social and physical supports. So about four in 10 smokers try to quit each year in Ireland. And of those, just over a third succeed on their first attempt and over half succeed on their second attempt. The first thing I would say is I recommend making an appointment to speak with your GP to discuss options for what's called nicotine replacement therapy because withdrawal symptoms from nicotine can be tough, but they are temporary and it's really important to be aware of them and to develop strategies to handle them in advance. In terms of um, NRT or nicotine replacement therapy, there's lots of different options and a lot of people will be familiar with the brand Nicorette and the patches and lozenges and gums and things that you can get over the counter in your pharmacy. There's also some medications that are available for NRT, but they have to be prescribed by your GP. And I think it's a really great place to start to chat to your doctor and see what your options are and establish your intent to quit. There's also some really great resources online on the HSC website regarding smoking cessation and quit.ie has is a website with fantastic resources um, for quitting smoking and the Irish Cancer Society website too. So what actual sports are there? How to keep on the straight and narrow? Well, I had a little think about this and actually when I went to look at the HSC website, I found some really awesome points for success and support. So I'm going to share those here. And like I say, do check out that website if you want to learn more. The first place to start is motivation. So writing down your why is a, a fantastic place to start for any habit that you want to make and not break. But particularly for smoking cessation, it's a great place to start and something to come back to when you're struggling the most with cravings. And it's got to be a strong why. It might be to be able to go for a run with your daughter or to be able to run to catch the bus or to be able to not have a cough every day or maybe to have better skin, but writing it down is a really great place to start. If it's just to improve your health, write that down too. It will help your health. Preparation then. So consider the physical and social supports that you might need to get through quitting. So tell your family and friends, tell your colleagues at work so that they can all help you and support you and reduce the likelihood of you not making it through your quitting attempt. And as I said, meet your GP and or pharmacist to discuss options for NRT. Ask them the experts. Next, make sure you plan for those weak moments. Think about when you resort to cigarettes the most, whether it's social situations, when drinking, stressful times, and mentally prepare and write down alternatives that you can seek out and do instead of reaching for the pack. That might be a 10-minute walk, a cup of tea, grabbing your NRT, whether it's lozenges or a gum, for example. Just have that alternative written down. might even just be a little snack. The HZ website has four Ds for craving management, and they're brilliant. Delay. So delay the moment, delay by a few minutes and the craving will pass. That might be by going for a walk or grabbing a cup of tea or just telling a friend that you're struggling. Distract. So distract yourself with those things. Drink water or a cup of tea or maybe a decaf coffee or a coffee itself and breathe deeply. I've talked a little bit about breathing techniques on a previous episode on, I think, stress management. So it might be worth having a little look at that too. Then finally, progress and pro- to, blah, excuse me, progress and positivity. 
I guess productivity counts, but progress and positivity. As with any habit that you're trying to make and not break, celebrate small wins along the day and the way. Focus on progress over perfection. And maybe, as with alcohol, use the savings from the money you're not spending on cigarettes and save up for something fun, something to get you through the week, or a holiday that you've wanted to go on for ages, or something you've wanted to buy yourself. And as always, keep bringing it back to that why. The final point I'll make in regards to smoking, because some people might be curious, is with regards to e-cigarettes. And we're seeing a lot more of them in society now, a lot of people using them, the plumes of smokes and the smells of the smokes going around the place. Now, I'm not going to say too much on them. Both e-cigarettes and cigarettes deliver nicotine to the user, but cigarettes burn tobacco, whereas e-cigarettes do not. And basically, they're battery powered devices, um, which people use, and they heat liquid into a vapor, and that vapor can be inhaled. And the liquid's in this little reservoir in the device, and it usually has nicotine with it and flavorings too. About 4% of the Irish population currently use e-cigarettes, and about 12% have tried them previously. Um, 9% of current smokers use them and 10% of ex-smokers use them. Now, really important thing to say is that there is currently no conclusive evidence that e-cigarettes are safe for long-term use or are effective as a smoking cessation. And overall, the stance from an Irish perspective would be that there's, from a public health point of view, there's a lack of research really in relation to them and their long-term safety and their role as a smoking cessation support. So I'm just giving you the public health view on that. Because I think it's worth mentioning just in case people are wondering about it. So I hope that episode was helpful. A little bit different. Two big topics, alcohol and smoking, but two really, really important lifestyle behaviours. To me, it's almost like the big four. Smoking, alcohol, diet and physical activity. I'd almost put stress in there as a five as well. But I think that those big four are the ones that if we could optimise them at a population level in Ireland and globally, we could do so much good and improve our health so much. So I do hope it was helpful to you guys and I'd love to hear your feedback as always. I'm at the Irish Balance, all lowercase on social media and otherwise just drop a comment on the podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, please do give it a five-star review just so I can get my message out there to as many people as possible. And yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting to you guys next week. Um, Feel free to drop me a DM on Instagram with feedback from this episode or drop me a line on Twitter or email or um, wherever, wherever you can find me. Um, I'll chat to you guys soon. Looking forward to it. And we'll see what the topic or interview is going to be next week. Bye.